And now the weather. Expect partly cloudy skies with an excellent chance of maximum refunds. Wait, that can't be right. Oh, but it is. Who are you? I'm April, and we could see refunds raining down all tax season with people switching to TaxAct. TaxAct? The tax filing software that makes it easy to file for less and get more. New forecast. It's sunny days ahead for everyone using TaxAct. Always happy to brighten your day. Switch to TaxAct today and start for free. Restrictions apply. Price edit filing subject to change. See TaxAct.com for details. Your city, your podcast. Welcome to another episode of Back to the Berg Small Business Spotlight, presented by the PodHub Network. My guests today are two real estate agents who are doing their part to connect their clients to the community they hope to make their clients home through their blogs and videos on the Pittsburgh section of parkbench.com. Please welcome Zach Kosick and Joe Pegger. Did I get your names right? Yes, very good. Let's go. I'm on a roll. All right, guys. Thanks for coming on. Uh, You guys actually reached out to me, which I think is awesome. Uh, You guys said you saw what I was doing with the small business stuff. And I'm more than happy to help you guys out and get your name out there. And obviously, just get people to move to Pittsburgh. It's a beautiful city. And I wish I was there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, maybe we'll convince you to move back. Hey, give me a good deal. Give me a good deal. (laughs) Well, guys. Yeah, exactly. Get me back to the Berg. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you guys. Um, you. I want to start this out by just asking, like, did you guys think you were going to be in real estate whenever, you're, you know, you're thinking about careers? Certainly not. No, not even the least little bit. I don't think anyone <laughs> yeah. I don't think any agent in our office thought that unless it was like maybe a couple that like their parents were agents, but I think we all just seem to fall into it somehow. Gotcha, gotcha. No, yeah, whatever. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. I think a typical way of getting into it is, uh, at least for me anyway, um, I had a previous career at Xerox, which is what my degree was in. And, um, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I found out how much schooling it involved and the cost of, uh, <laughs> it was basically like being a doctor. And I said, well, that's, you know, probably not something I want to do. And uh, I got into kind of electronics and technology stuff and uh, worked for Xerox for a long time. And when I realized I wanted to do something different than Xerox, I started looking at different other opportunities like running a franchise or, you know, just like a second career and uh, real estate kind of presented itself. when we were looking, my wife and I were looking for a house and I started interacting with some realtors and said, Hey, I could do that. You know, I have a lot of the skills from being, you know, in Xerox for years and visiting customers all over. Um, that it would translate well into real estate and um, just kind of happened. And uh, I fell in love with it right away. I mean, I think it's a career that the potential to make money is there. I think that's the kind of the, you know, what to, what do people in the general public think realtors is kind of go to lunch and, you know, show a house or two and then make lots and lots of money and drive a nice car. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's somewhat true for some agents, but you know, it's really just like any other job. You're grinding it out on a daily basis, staring at your computer screen a lot and doing a lot of farming. We call it, you know, looking for customers, looking for information for customers, but, um, you know, it's, it's not a nine to five job. And like I said, you have to love it and love interacting with people. And then, you know, as a result of that, it, it can be lucrative if if you you know if you're willing to put in the time and effort into it yeah now zach joe brought it up you know he had a, other aspirations 
before you became a real estate agent. What, where, what was your path to getting here? I was certain that I was going to be a major league baseball player. <laughs> really? until, about, until about the age of 12, 13. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I'm, you played sports yourself too. There's a point, and it's a sad point, where you realize that about yourself, that it probably won't go past high school or college. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a sad time, but I, I played, you know, all the time growing up, but it was, uh, that was my first goal and it didn't work out obviously. And then, uh, just out of college, I got some, some odd jobs, never really what I learned over the years before my turn into real estate was that I just didn't like having the boss. I had something crazy. Like I probably had 15 different jobs before I started in real estate and and it wasn't that I was fired from them or I was just, it didn't matter what the job was. I didn't like punching in nine to five every day and doing yeah. sitting behind a desk or whatever it was, just doing it the same thing every day, day in and day out. Just the whole, the setup of, of that nine to five, having a, having a boss and, you know, that the boss's boss would, you know, get on them about stuff and then they would get on you about stuff. And it was like, real estate sounds cool. I had a few, um, uncles that were in it and I thought that they've they've really profited from it and then when I bought my first house was kind of when I thought that seems like a cool uh, profession because they're self-employed they're considered independent contractors um, and then I pulled the trigger roughly four years ago or something like that and it is weird because I hated the aspect of having a boss but then when you don't have a boss, you have to be your own boss. And that was the, the hardest part. And I had no, I mean, I went 15 jobs in a row and it was the same structure. And then one day you wake up, I still remember the first day I woke up after I got my license and, and I was like, I don't want to get out of bed. And if I don't get out of bed, no one's going to, I'm not going to be in any trouble, Yeah. but you have to make yourself your own boss. And it's a, it's a weird feeling because you, you never had it. And then there's, you know, other people, most people are not self-employed. So you talk to people like that and they're like, what is, what does it mean to be your own boss? It's like, I can't even, you can't really describe it. You just got to feel it because it's, it's weird. Yeah, no, it's, it's like relating that to podcasting and, you know, a lot of, a lot of us podcasters, we want to make this a career and it's mm -hmm. like, what happens whenever you do drop your, your day job to make this your career? Are you going to be able to have the discipline to go sit at your desk for six hours a day in your house and work on content? And it's, it's really, it's really a hard thing for people to balance, you know, just, you know, being your own boss. And I, it's something I feel like I'd be able to do for about a month <laughs> and then I'd get lazy. <laughs> yeah. It's it comes and goes. To have someone when, when your bank account you, gets low, that's kind of a motivating factor. That's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. whatever you, you get the kick yeah. in the ass to, <laughs> You know, hey, I gotta sell some houses. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we have somewhere around an eight. I don't quote me on this. It's something around an eighty percent failure rate in the first year or two. Yeah, people get their licenses and then drop out of business. So, um, it's it's like I said, you have, even if you think you might like it, you have to really like it to succeed at it. To put in the, the you know, and it, and it's one of those things that probably similar to podcasting it you know the, the 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 work is all kind of front loaded you have to do all this work up front for the first few years 
and then it, it kind of feels like the dam breaks and things start to happen. Yeah, no, that's kind of what I'm getting from the short conversation we've had so far is that there's a lot of similarities here between podcasting, mm -hmm. content creating, and being a real estate agent. It's a lot of, you know, you gotta, it's a lot of willpower. You gotta be able to make yourself do the work. And, you know, with podcasting, like you said, there's 80% failure rate with real estate agents. Podcasting, it's like, I, I forget the exact stat, but it's like only, probably only an eighth of podcasts that start like they own, they get to a hundred episodes, everybody else, like, you know, they stop doing it because low interest or they don't know what to do anymore. Like just, you know, just they lose interest and things just don't happen the way they see them happening. And I think that's something that we'll talk about more on whenever you guys interview me for your, your stuff. But it's one of those things that I always think about. It's like, you know, where are you going to take this and do you want it to, to do it? Do you want to continue to do it? So I think that's, there's a lot of similarities here between real estate and content creating. Yeah, once it's, I've compared it to like getting a giant boulder. It's super hard to get it moving at first, but that momentum is, if you just keep it going, the beginning is for sure the hardest because you're you're literally making a, a show on YouTube or a podcast and at the very beginning, no one knows about it. No exactly. one, and then you got to start. And that's another similarity with, with real estate is you start with your friends and family and then half of them are going to forget that you even do it. And then they maybe tell a couple people and then you start getting into friends, friends and friends of friends and slowly but surely the, the boulder starts rolling. Yeah, exactly. But I know Zach and I talked early on when he first started, I was kind of his mentor and uh, we used a lot of, I, I coached in a couple of different sports, softball and hockey um, and I use the example that it's kind of like when you're playing on a sports team, you know, when you first start off in little league or, you know, in, in, in something like that, you don't get to play, uh, or you don't get to play as much as the bigger kids, but you still practice and you, you're preparing yourself for the day that you do step in and, you know, you're going to be the shortstop or the pitcher or the goalie, you know, uh, or, you know, maybe a better example of that would be the backup quarterback, you know, you have to prepare yeah. for the games and be ready to play because once you actually get your name called to get in the game, you have to be ready to go. And uh, uh, real estate can be like that. You know, you're preparing, 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 and some people give up before they get a, get the chance to get into the game. I think. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like you're prepared. You're, you're the Charlie batch, you know, <laughs> right, you gotta be exactly. the best backup you can be. Right. <laughs> but like so backtracking a little bit uh let's talk about your guys you guys in high school where did you guys go to high school and what activities were you in I know Zach you said you played baseball I thought you were going to go pro I think all of us athletes at some point think we're going to go pro and like yeah. you said it's a sad day when you realize you're not <laughs> yeah I uh well mine mine was more recent so I'll, I'll let him think about it He's gonna <laughs> hey, I gotta go way back in the way back to remember <laughs> I went to uh, South Moreland, uh, which is probably 40, 45 minutes south of Pittsburgh here. And uh, just a little, I mean, there are probably two, two or 300 in our graduating class, maybe not real big. Uh, played all kinds of sports, you know, I was, whether it was in school or outside of school, you know. Nowadays, it's, it's hard to play baseball really there's you got you need too many people so it's it's mostly just hoops with my with my buddies now 
Um, but I'm 31 now. It's it's getting it's getting dangerous. I gotta get the ankle braces cinched up tight. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know back then I always wanted to live in Pittsburgh because we would always come to Pirate games, Steeler games. It was uh, and it seemed so far away back then. But now my parents still live there, and I go visit them at the drop of a hat, you know. But back then it was like oh, wow, we're going to Pittsburgh for the day? It's like, it was like a mini vacation, but yeah, not anymore. So for me, I went, uh, I live in Greenfield, which is right next to Scrubbell. Um, there's a kind of an old joke about that. Um, uh, Greenfield is the uh, slum of Squirrel Hill in the suburb of Hazelwood. Uh, it's kind of <laughs> in between those two neighborhoods. And um, so I grew up in the city. I went to Alderdice in Squirrel Hill. Uh, which is a really good city school. Um, I went to uh, Catholic school before Alderdice. So when I got to Alderdice, it was a completely different environment of public school. There wasn't nearly as uh, strict and orderly as Catholic school was. So my high school days, I'm, I'm somewhat ashamed and embarrassed to say I kind of breezed through high school to a certain degree uh, on uh, my abilities and uh, you know, having learned a lot in Catholic school. And, and I really was kind of finding myself in high school. Um, I grew up, uh, like Zach said, I played baseball, I played hockey, I played, you know, all kind of sports like all boys, you know, most boys do. And um, I came from a big family. I was the youngest of eight. I had three brothers. So there were four boys in my family. And we always had a basketball game or a street hockey game going uh, just amongst us. And, uh, you know, I just uh, loved sports growing up. I still love them today. Um, I coach hockey on my son's team and uh, I met my wife and I had a couple of knee surgeries earlier in my life. So playing, you know, hockey and, and pickup leagues and everything is out. But um, I got into rollerblading and uh, started doing competitive racing and rollerblading in the 90s and the 2000s. And uh, I met my wife doing that. So um, it's been kind of a fun journey. I still love to go biking and skating with my kids all the time. We just went on a, like a 16 or 17 mile ride yesterday on Memorial Day. Now rollerblading, that, that takes me back. You know, there was, I forget where it was, but there was a place, I was so young. I was probably like, the last time I was at this place was probably when I was seven. But you know, the roller skating rink, where was it? I, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember where, where it was, but you know, that was like the thing to do whenever yeah. I was growing up was like, Oh, let's go inline skate. And you know, they had the uh, arcade there and you had to do everything on inline skates. It was crazy. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's awesome. That that's how you met your wife. You know, I, later on in my life, I finally learned how to actually rollerblade and ice skate. I didn't learn early on or else I would have been a hockey player instead of football player. <laughs> that's what my uncle tells me. It wasn't called the De Vito Park, was it? No, no. This was an okay. indoor. I'm, I'm so upset. I forgot where it is. Neville, Neville Island, maybe? Maybe it was Neville Island. Is it that still was, there? Devito was what we had in, in our hometown. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no. It was, oh, my dad, when this comes out, my dad's going to call me and be like, oh, you don't remember, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'll be like, you know, I remember being. Put in the comments, dad. Yeah. <laughs> My dad loves watching these. I, I always, I honor him. I have his little high school football standee always behind me and people, oh, people nice. seem to enjoy that. 
but that's yeah, cool. that's, that's really like, that's awesome stuff. You know, obviously you guys are very ingrained in the Pittsburgh community and just everything surrounding it. Like we said, we're not specifically from the city, except Joe, you kind of are, <laughs> I'd say, but you know, born and raised, right? yeah. yeah, I left uh, when I got out of school, when I first worked for Xerox, I moved to DC for about five or six years. Gotcha. And then when I had an opportunity to come back, I did. So the majority of my life I've been in the city. Exactly. And it's like, you know, everybody, even the surrounding counties, like I'm from Beaver County, you know, Westmoreland County, whatever, like we're all Pittsburghers, it seems like, but you guys have been able to be real estate agents in the area, in the Squirrel Hill area specifically, and you're connecting with the community to try and get more people to live there. Let's get into Park Bench and what you guys are doing with that. Yeah, so Park Bench is, uh, there's many Park Bench websites, um, but ours is the Pittsburgh version. And uh, essentially it's a, it's like a hyper local newspaper, but main website form. And uh, if you check it out, you can see the past interviews we've done. We've gone, um, you know, just outside our doors here to pizza shops, uh, yogurt shops, you name it. There's a bunch of places. I mean, we always go to them for lunch and dinner anyway. And we go in, talk to the owners and say, hey, you want some free advertising? We put it on our, our website, our, our Facebook, and it's, uh, it's for people to, we're basically selling the neighborhood and selling ourselves and getting to, and we're making connections and, and getting out there and making friends and, and podcast friends and, and doing all that in the, in the meantime. But we're also, you know, it's, it's a business tactic, but it's... Yeah. It's also pretty fun. I think it's kind of a a combination of a couple of things. Um, You know, before the digital age, let's call it that, you know, with, with, you know, computers and iPhones and, you know, mobile devices, um, you know, most cities had a neighborhood or a chamber of commerce type organization where local businesses would kind of meet each other and share information and and give each other referrals. there's lots of referral groups out there that do the same kind of thing. This is like a higher tech version of that, I guess is the way I'd describe it. And uh, you know, talk about another kind of organization that's similar. Uh, I think everybody's familiar with the, you know, the, the mobile site next door. So it's like a local neighborhood app that you can find out if somebody's dog is lost or if they're selling something or having a yard sale. Um, next door is kind of, or park bench is kind of like next door, but for, businesses. And, uh, you know, we share their information and vice versa. We, we realize that, you know, we're stronger together as a community to cross pollinate our buyers or our, our clients with each other. And, um, you know, Pittsburgh, having lived in DC and moved back to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh has a very strong um, way of, of recommending people to other people. Like you say, hey, I need a roofer. You know, a good roofer. And the typical answer you'll get from a Pittsburgh is, I know a guy. Let me give you his name. Let me give you his phone number. Uh, he's the great, he's the best roofer. He's a good guy. He's going to treat you fair. Just tell him I called. He's a good friend of mine. And you have that automatic uh, credibility right away. And uh, you get that by knowing people and knowing their business and saying, I know if I send you to Cody, he's going to take care of you. Um, I know him, I know his reputation, I know his, I trust him. 
And uh, that's a really strong endorsement to, to, you know, that we're always looking for to give to businesses. And we're, we're happy when they're able to do that for us to give those kind of referrals back because it, you know, you still have to sell yourself to them, but you come with a really strong recommendation. Absolutely. And I mean, with my experience of living out here in New Jersey and having to deal with uh, real estate agents trying to find apartments and things of that nature, it's like they don't they don't put in that extra work like you guys are. And I feel like there's a larger faction, but there's a there's a decent faction of real estate agents that, you know, they're taking that extra step like you guys. And, you know, being able to take the community interview them, get to know them, and then put that on a platform for potential home buyers to see is phenomenal. And it's, that's the next level. Cause like my experience with the apartment I'm living in now, I don't, the agent, we were outside on the corner, you know, she showed me around, whatever we're outside on the corner. I'm like, so what is there to do around here? Like, you know, obviously it's Hackensack. I know it's kind of an up and coming neighborhood, but she's just like oh yeah down the street you have this and then you have that and then you have this and i'm like okay do you know these people like what what can i do there like is it just snacks can i only buy snacks there can i get a meal there like what like what's this and it's like i feel like a lot of real estate agents just get caught up in the oh i need to i need to sell 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 get people in these places Whereas you guys are like, we need to make sure people are comfortable in these neighborhoods and make sure they trust the people in these neighborhoods. And I feel like you're doing a phenomenal job at that. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. I think a lot of, a lot of the reason for agents that are sort of like how you just described is like Joe said before, it's a 80% failure, but on top of that, a lot of people do it as a part-time gig. Yeah. And it's, that's one of those things where if you're not doing it full time, there's no chance uh, at, at fully understanding some things because things change so often that if you're only doing it part time, you're going to miss, you're going to miss a week and then you're, you know, you start falling behind. And so it's, we get, I think agents get a, a bad rap because I mean, there's, you know, like I said, the part timers and the, and the failure rate, but it's a lot more than just selling. Yeah. yeah. The, the other thing I was thinking when you said that was um, it's a little bit of an oxymoron uh, in a way, because um, we're using a, a technical device or a social media device to do what ultimately you need to do. And in, in, in any kind of sales is you have to develop relationships with people and you have to make them feel comfortable with you and vice versa and make sure you're a good fit. So ultimately, you know, I can sell a house or help somebody look at a house and say, yes, this is the one you want to buy and fill out the paperwork. The real question I, I look at for myself is, am I doing them a, a good, am I doing a good job for them by making sure if they're moving here from out of town, are they just picking a place on a map and saying, this is where I want to live because it's close to where I work. And I often, you know, Zach and I do this all the time. We sit down with people and say, tell us about what you do outside of work. Tell us about what your lifestyle's like. Do you like to go to bars and restaurants? Are you a homebody? Do you have a dog? Do you have kids? All those affect where you're going to live and your quality of life is more than just the house. It's what are your neighbors like? Where, what's your proximity? Do you like to walk to work? Do you like to ride your bike to work? All those kind of things. And 
when you make them happy, um, and, and you know, we don't want somebody to say, oh, that real estate agent sold me a house. And then a year later, I realized I don't even want to be in that area. I, I wanted to be in a different area. So um, it, it's really, you're bringing a lot of value to yourself, I think, by being a local expert. And, and you know, the really funny part of that is how many times we've driven through a neighborhood and pointed out different businesses. And people will say, you know, oh, that place that you recommended for pizza or that place that you told us has salsa dancing or whatever the thing is. We go there all the time now. We, that was one of the things we loved about the neighborhood. Or, you know, you introduced us, you knew the neighbor next door when we showed the house and, you know, we love them now. They're like our best friends that we moved in next door to. So um, it, it's, it still gets back to, like I said, it's almost an oxymoron. You're using a very non-personal technical device yeah. to do what we used to do in the old days, I guess you could call it is meeting people face to face, shaking their hands, having interactions with them. And we're using a, a, a newer method of doing that. So that, that's why it's kind of, it works. It, it keeps that personal connection, but it's using a different medium to get to that personal connection rather than meeting face to face. And COVID has accelerated that because we were all forced to you know, sit on Zoom calls and, yeah. and communicate remotely versus in person. Yeah, exactly. So people are more familiar with it now. Absolutely. And I mean, you guys really are, you're not, you're not selling a home, you're selling almost the perfect lifestyle for someone. You know, mm, you're making absolutely. sure that they're comfortable where they're at. And that's, that to me is more valuable than a home is to make sure I'm comfortable where I'm living. So it's awesome mm. that you guys are able to do that through this, through this outlet. I wish we were legally allowed to tell them who's the crazy neighbor on the street, but uh, we're, we're, <laughs> that's pretty important information. Well, that's why you point them towards the not crazy neighbors and then they tell them. <laughs> we've, had, uh, we've had the scene from Step Brothers where they, they sabotage the, the showing of the house. We, I've had that almost not quite as insane as that, but I've had, I've had my own version of that where there was neighbors fighting outside almost like they were doing it on purpose to, to yeah. keep the house from selling and there was threats of gun violence and it was just, oh man i guess i guess we're not buying this house <laughs> yeah. it was so ridiculous sometimes that it almost it feels staged yeah no now that that's how you know that uh, the house could be great but you yeah can, you know so you can you can paint the walls and rip the carpet up but you can't change the neighbors and that's that's the worst part about a place sometimes is what you're around and who you're around. Yeah. No, now that you bring that up, you know, the, the crazy stories, the things that happen on the job, I wanted to ask you guys, we were talking a little bit before we started, what, what are some of the craziest things that happened when you guys were interviewing people in the community, like business owners, what are some of the craziest things that have happened there? <laughs> the, well, the one recently, uh, we were, like I said, we were just, <laughs> just walking down the street outside the office here. And it was, what was it, a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something? It was like a Wednesday morning, and we were we had our camera out. We were right kind of doing there. some, I guess you call it like B-roll footage of the business out front to kind of add into our video. And uh, there was a guy backing into a parking space. Another guy walked behind him, and they almost uh, he almost ran the first guy over. And then they started yelling and screaming at each other. And uh, we had the camera kind of rolling during this. And <laughs> We shut it off. Luckily, we, we didn't use that footage, but um, that's on the bloopers. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have talked about doing a blooper 
uh, real, yeah. like uh, like they do at the end of movies sometimes with some of these things. Mm-hmm. A lot of people coming in in the middle of our interviews, like if it's in a business, saying, "Hey, are you open yet?" You know, things like that. Yeah, it's hard it's, to enter into a business without them, especially small businesses, because we're not doing McDonald's and the big names. We're doing the mom and pop places that are you, you, you get to talk to the actual owner instead of the owner living in California or Florida or something. So we, those people are very very busy people, and one of the last ones we went and talked to, the owner of the place was filthy, dirty, washing dishes in the basement. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's like the owner of uh, a big place, they'll never even go into the location. And, and he's in there getting his hands dirty. And you're trying to talk to him about filming a video. And he's like, I already don't have enough time in the day for what I'm already doing. And it's uh, so each each experience is pretty unique because when they do agree to do it, you gotta you gotta sneak it in before the exactly. doors open or before they're they gotta do something else. So they're busy, but yeah, that's, no, that's I mean, in my experience of doing the small business spotlights, I, I've run into that. You know, I I was supposed to interview. I would consider him a friend. I worked for him at his his bar and restaurant, and you know, I told him I was like, hey, I'm doing this small business spotlight. I'd love to get you on. Uh, you know, try and help out with getting people into the bar since the pandemic, you know, you guys might need some extra advertising and, you know, you can plan and plan and plan, but when you're the owner of the business, owner of the building, you you never have time for anything. And it's like, yeah. you know, you want to help out so much from my standpoint. And it's like, sometimes the best thing you can do is just let them go, let them do yeah. their thing so they can get their shit figured out, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we had one experience recently where we went in. It didn't turn into an interview, but it was a, a bicycle shop. And uh, you know, a lot of small businesses are really suffering because of COVID. Um, there's almost like a, I don't know if it's a worldwide, but definitely a, a, a nationwide bicycle shortage. I guess everybody's gone out and bought bicycles during COVID. Yeah. And um, a lot of bike shops have closed. And we went in to talk to this guy to say, hey, are you interested in he was, you know, he was very polite, very nice, you know, very kind to us, but you could see the stress in his body language and his face. And he said, I'd love to do it, but I don't have any bikes to sell. And he goes, we're just trying to stay afloat right now. We can't get bikes. They're back ordered. He goes, I can't advertise and have people come in to buy stuff. I don't have to sell. He goes, we're doing bike repairs and anybody you could send to us to do those, we're, we're keeping our head above water, but we're just really struggling to survive right now. So, um, you know, it, it's, you know, we've had some great, fun, pleasant experiences, but we've also had some uh, that show the the toll that COVID has taken on some of these small businesses and how it's affect them. Uh, he also told us he wasn't taking a salary for a number of uh, months uh, just to keep his employees employed uh, and, and, and to survive. So uh, hopefully we'll, find a way at some point, you know, maybe that will, will turn around for him and we'll be able to get in there and, and do an interview a year from now or something. But uh, I think that's one of the things too, is you have to take each business as a unique entity and kind of tailor your approach to them and say, what's the best way for us to help you? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think from what you guys have been doing more than what I've been doing, you know, I, I've done a couple of these small business spotlights, but you guys going out there, being able to bring more attention to these businesses that can use the help and can use the advertising. You know, 
it's it's something that I feel like really needed to be done during or almost post COVID to try and get more business into these small businesses and make sure they stay afloat. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, guys, I, I want to, Oh, I was go ahead, say, if they made it through, they appreciate business. They appreciate it more now, whether they just, you know, they just scraped by over the last year or they, there's very few businesses that have like stayed the same or gotten busier. But I think the, the ones that we've talked to over the last year that, it's been hard on them, but they've stayed, they've stayed alive. They appreciate it more now. And they, they appreciate relationships like, like talking to Joe and I, because they realize that, man, nobody saw the last year coming and it could have wiped them out. Yeah. So I think they're just more, they're more understanding and more appreciative for now. Absolutely. Well, guys, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Uh, where can everybody find you guys on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever? So we're uh, the <coughs> Pittsburgh, what is it? Parkbench.com slash Squirrel Hill, Squirrel Dash Hill. Um, and pretty much everything is on there. Our, our YouTube page, um, our Facebook. Yeah, the other nice thing about realtors is our advertising is everywhere. So if you just Google one of our names, you'll get a thousand hits popping up with <laughs> all different social media and websites mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, we all have our own web page and you know, we have the company webpage and everything, but really Park Bench is the site we want to drive people to. However, they get there through Facebook or Twitter or whatever. We have all those social media stuff, but Park Bench is kind of where our focus is now because it's it's kind of the 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 center where all the tentacles come out from. Yeah, absolutely. All you, need is our, all you really need to get a hold of us is our cell phone number. If that's I'm not, they're everywhere. Yeah, they're, I'm yeah. Gonna get, our phones never stop ringing. All right. Well, I'll be sure to put all that in the description for anybody that needs it, anybody that wants it, anybody that wants these guys to come and try and help advertise for their company or, yeah, their company in a neighborhood that they may be trying to sell some real estate in. So, guys, thanks again. uh, And I appreciate you guys coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thank Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a lounge singer to be their office receptionist. Hello, this is Mickey Marquis, and you've reached the office of Doug and Associates. <laughs> Thank you very much. Catch me Tuesday nights at the Hotel Johnson. Hello? But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Doug and Associates, this is Mickey Marquis. Hello? For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today.